There are any number of reasons you may have found yourself in the Montana Territory in 1895. You could have been prospecting for gold, could have been stationed there as a scout for the U.S. Army, could have been one of the thousands of indigenous people that called the land home since at least the end of the last ice age. Or maybe you could have been a bandit, someone who scoured the horizon hoping for a vulnerable stagecoach to appear before night fell and the long summer twilight gave way to the wilderness, spilling out grizzlies, mountain lions, any number of wild things that had been inspiring firelit storytellers for centuries, not to mention the wolves. And if you did happen to spot a lone stagecoach barreling down the unpaved roads, you'd best hope the driver was someone other than Mary Fields. She was in her 60s when she became the first African American to receive a star route contract from the United States Post Office. This meant she became an independent contractor who used a stagecoach to deliver mail in the severe weather and unpredictable wilderness of Montana. It was a job only for the hardiest kind of human being. If you were a bandit and had been unlucky enough to try and rob this cigar-smoking, barrier-breaking, six-foot-tall, well-armed woman tearing through the countryside, you would have soon realized you'd have had a better chance with the wolves. Today, we explore the life and the legend of Stagecoach Mary. I'm your host, Kristen Robine Terpstra, and this is the History Cache. Let's have a look inside. You may have noticed my voice is a bit huskier than usual. Don't worry, it's not the big C, just a cold. So rather than delay production, I've decided to just go with it. So apologies for the Batman voice. Now, when we think of the Wild West, we think of names like Doc Holliday, Jesse James, Wyatt Earp, Geronimo, Wild Bill Hickok, Annie Oakley all figures whose lives inspired myth, tall tales, and images of adventure played out on a vast, thrilling frontier. It's time to add the name Mary Fields to the roster of Wild West legends. This woman had a full life. And although it can be hard to distinguish fact from the myth that inevitably grows around a person as remarkable as Mary, the things she was able to accomplish in a world that was set up to prevent her from accomplishing much of anything tells us how truly extraordinary she must have been. She was a hard woman and had a reputation for being rather gruff at times. There were plenty of people who would butt heads with Mary over her lifetime, but she was also someone of tremendous generosity and had plenty of admirers. She had a long life, especially for those days, and seems to have used every second of it. Her last chapter read vastly differently than her first. She was born enslaved. Her exact year of birth isn't known, though it's estimated she was born in or near 1832. We do know she celebrated her birthday on March 15th each year. Her exact birthplace is also unknown, though many sources place it in Hickman County, Tennessee, 
She remained enslaved from the time she was born all the way up until slavery was abolished in the United States, which was officially December 18, 1865, when the 13th Amendment was adopted, though news of abolition took a while to reach every corner of the U.S. That means Mary was around 33 years old when she became free. Not much about her life at that time is known, in part because as an enslaved person, her record is spotty at best. The first federal population census on which former enslaved peoples were listed by name wasn't until 1870. Before that, they were listed on all federal census records with a number as property, not with a name as a person so it can be extremely difficult to track down any specific individual who had been enslaved. Also, even though Mary Fields was literate, she left no written record of her own life. These factors make research on Mary challenging, especially when it comes to pinpointing exactly what was history and what was legend. According to the Smithsonian National Postal Museum, we do know that in the years leading up to the Civil War, Mary was working for the Warner family in West Virginia. After her emancipation, she moved north, up the Mississippi River. This was during the Reconstruction Era, a tumultuous period following the Civil War in which the southern U.S. states were reintegrated from the Confederacy, as well as the four million newly freed people who had been enslaved in those states. Restrictive black codes enforced to control the behavior and labor of formerly enslaved peoples, Jim Crow laws enforcing segregation, and discrimination were all hurdles this newly freed population would face. When Mary moved north, after she was emancipated, she found work on steamboats as a chambermaid, emptying chamber pots and cleaning up after guests. She kept moving north until she reached Toledo, Ohio. Once she arrived in Ohio, she began working at the Ursuline Convent of the Sacred Heart. It's debated as to how Mary found herself working at a convent. Some sources claim a member of one of the families Mary had either worked for after her emancipation or during her enslavement was a sister, or even the mother superior there. Others say she was accompanying a family friend who was a nun on her way up to the convent. While working for the convent, Mary was a groundskeeper. She maintained the grounds, did things like wash laundry, managed the kitchen, and bought supplies. By the time she reached Ohio, Mary's personality was said to be pretty surly, and she clashed a bit with the nuns and the subdued atmosphere of a convent. Mary swore, sometimes loudly, and enjoyed both a good drink and a cigar. This caused some of the nuns to complain about Mary, her temper and general personality. One nun remarked, quote, God help anyone who walked on the lawn after Mary had cut it. She worked at the convent for around 15 years. According to historian D. Garceau Hagen, Mary often disputed her wages, and by 1885, a record of wages dated May 19, 1885, show Mary was making $50 a month with room and board, which comes out to $600 per year. At various times, Mary would borrow money against her wages from the convent, which she would pay back, to purchase things like medicine, a traveling bag, a banjo, and a harmonica. Records show she also bought some sheet music, which indicates that not only was she literate, 
but she could also read music. Although her personality ruffled some feathers at the convent, Mary did find a friend in Mother Amadeus Dune, the mother superior of the convent. Some sources claim their friendship had started back when Mary was working for the Warner family in West Virginia, though according to the Smithsonian, there isn't much to substantiate this claim. In 1884, Mother Amadeus moved from Toledo to the Montana Territory, which would eventually gain statehood five years later, in 1889. The move was at the request of her bishop, he wanted Mother Amadeus to aid with missionary work at St. Peter's Mission, outside of Cascade, Montana. By 1885, Mary would also travel all the way to the Montana Territory to work alongside Mother Amadeus. Some sources say this was due to a request Amadeus wrote, asking for more people to help staff the mission and a boarding school started by the Jesuits, where they instructed children from the Blackfoot tribe. Schools like this, including those set up by the U.S. government, were created as a way to absorb Native children into white culture and Christianity. According to an article from author and Blackfoot tribe member Jackie Parsons, government schools used strict military discipline and separated children from their families in order to change their beliefs and attitudes. I'll put a link to that article and all of my other sources in the show notes, as always. Other sources say Mary's move out west was due to the failing health of Mother Amadeus, who had come down with a serious illness, most likely pneumonia. So, in 1885, Mary Fields made the 1,600-mile, or 2,600-kilometer journey from Ohio to the Montana Territory. Once there, she began working at St. Peter's Mission with Mother Amadeus, who regained her health. At the mission, Mary did many of the same jobs she had while at the convent in Ohio, maintaining the grounds, doing repairs, laundry, gardening, raising chickens, and managing supplies. There seemed to be nothing Mary couldn't fix or handle. She worked at the mission for nearly ten years. During that time, Mary's penchant for drinking, smoking, patronizing saloons, Shooting guns, and sometimes wearing men's clothing, garnered her an increasingly well-known reputation. There were again some complaints about Mary and her behavior, but it wasn't until a row with a male subordinate that things went south for Mary. There are a couple different versions of what happened. Either this man didn't like taking orders from a black woman, or he was upset that even though she was his superior, Mary was making more money than he was. Whatever the cause for their confrontation, both of them drew their guns, though most sources say neither fired. Although the sources I found all claimed the fight was started by the other worker, Mary was fired from her job after this incident. This was an order that came from the bishop of the Montana Diocese after he heard about the confrontation and the drawing of firearms. Mary had become a staple at the mission, and many of the nuns had relied on her. For this reason, they were not happy to see her go. Despite having been dismissed from the mission, Mary chose to stay in Montana. She took odd jobs at first, then opened one, some sources say two, restaurants. Mary had played a major role in running and managing both a convent and a mission for nearly 20 years. She knew how to run things. 
However, Mary had a difficult time turning away anyone who couldn't afford to eat. She would feed anybody, even if they couldn't pay. Because of this, despite her administration skills, the restaurant went bankrupt and closed after just 10 months. Her generosity, which went so far as to cause a failed business, seems to be in contrast with the fierce reputation and temper Mary seemed to be known for. I think this gives us a more intimate look at the kinder side of Mary, one that perhaps had to be repressed in a world where survival for someone like Mary was often difficult. Although her reputation had been a hindrance at times, Mary would seize an opportunity in which her surly demeanor would finally pay off. Her life thus far had already been impressive. She had gone from being born enslaved to becoming an independent woman, facing the challenges and unpredictability of frontier life largely on her own. But now, at the age of 63, she would win her place in history as stagecoach Mary, and that history would make her a legend. In 1895, a 15-mile postal route opened up between the mission of St. Peter's and the town of Cascade, Montana. The U.S. Postal Service was looking for someone who could not only deliver the mail along this route, but could also protect it from bandits. This meant they needed what was called a Star Route Carrier, an independent contracted private mail carrier who could deliver mail in rural and thinly populated areas via a stagecoach. This could be an exceptionally dangerous job. Hazards could come in the form of relentlessly harsh winter weather, wolves, or any number of predators, bandits, and accidents that could occur at any time over the steep, rocky, unpaved trail. The person for this job would need to be the hardiest out there and possessed a ridiculous amount of fearlessness. In other words, it was the perfect job for Mary. She applied for the route. According to the Postal Museum, the Ursuline nuns at the mission helped Mary secure the position as they had relied heavily on Mary before she was fired by the bishop, and they could think of no one more suited for the position. Mary was the first African-American woman to become a star route carrier. From what I could find, it also seems she was the oldest person to be awarded a contract. For protection against thieves, she carried a revolver and a rifle, and she knew how to use both of them in case her reputation wasn't enough to deter bandits. It's said that in her eight years as a star route carrier, Mary never missed a day. If a star carrier did miss a day, they would not receive payment for the trip they missed, even if it was due to inclement weather, which Montana had plenty of. When Mary encountered weather, her stagecoach, led by her mule named Moses, couldn't traverse, she would have to deliver mail by snowshoe with the sacks slung over her shoulders. If you've ever snowshoed, you know that breaking a fresh trail can be incredibly arduous. Sometimes, when I forget how hard snowshoeing is, and I get antsy about how long the Michigan winters can be, I'll go snowshoeing. 
I usually get about 20 minutes in before I regret going. And that's with modern snowshoes. I can't imagine how hard it would have been to carry mail while breaking trail through fresh snow in Montana on old snowshoes 130 years ago. According to the U.S. Postal Service, a typical Star Route carrier's contract would last for four years. After that, they would have to submit a bid for their route again. This meant they could lose their route if another contractor put in a lower bid. Mary continued delivering the mail on her route for eight years. When she stopped in 1903, it wasn't due to another carrier submitting a lower bid. It was because at the age of around 71, the job had become a bit too arduous. During her tenure as Star Route Carrier, Mary Fields became Stagecoach Mary to the people of Cascade, though her reputation traveled further. Gary Cooper, famous American actor, spent his childhood on a ranch in Helena, Montana, and remembered meeting Mary Fields during his family trips to Cascade. In a 1959 issue of Ebony Magazine that ran an article about Mary Fields, Cooper was quoted as saying Fields could, quote, whip any two men in the territory, and that she had a fondness for hard liquor that was matched only by her capacity to put it away. There are stories of her fighting off packs of wolves and besting bandits, although it's unclear if these stories are based on true events or if they're merely a part of the legends that grew out of the Wild West. Today, we call her Stagecoach Mary, but during her lifetime, residents of Cascade would also refer to her as Black Mary or Colored Mary, something which historian Garso Hagen said meant the residents of Cascade had affirmed a caste system based on race even as they celebrated Fields' notoriety. There was not a large African-American community in Cascade where Mary resided, like there was in Helena or the larger towns found in the state, yet Mary chose to remain in Cascade. Maybe she had found a sense of community there with the nuns, or a sense of purpose in the rural countryside, or a corner of the world where she felt she could just be herself without having to conform to the judgments and expectations of others. After she ended her contract with the U.S. Postal Service, Mary continued to work. She opened an eatery and a laundry service in town and would babysit children from time to time. She became a legend in her own time, and the people of Cascade admired her. She often ate free at local restaurants, drank for free at times, and even became the mascot for the local baseball team. But even legends can't live forever. On December 5th, 1914, Mary Fields drew breath for the last time. She was around 82 years old. According to an article from True West magazine, she passed away at the Columbus Hospital in Great Falls, Montana, where she died of liver failure. Her funeral was well attended, one of the largest the town had ever seen. She had many admirers who wanted to pay their respects to their Wild West legend. Now, a simple stone marker sits over her grave, which lies at the foot of the trail that leads up to the mission. Here, Mary still guards the route to St. Peter's. Her story is one that lives on in legend, and although we may never be able to discern the full truth from the myth that grew around her life, the facts we do know speak for themselves. 
She set out on her own, broke down barriers, succeeded in the face of deep discrimination and hardship, and, as Gary Cooper said in 1959, she may have been born enslaved, but she lived to become one of the freest souls ever to draw breath, or a 38 caliber. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the history of Mary Fields as much as I enjoyed sharing it with you. It's now officially 2022, and I hope this new year brings you happiness, new opportunities, and a new beginning, if you want one. I want to say thanks to my newest patron, Christine. Christine, thank you for helping the podcast to keep going. I'll be back again in three weeks with more history for you. In the meantime, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at historycashpodcast at gmail.com. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to help support the show, you can check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash historycashpodcast. You can also make a one-time donation. You can access the link for that on the website under the support tab. That website is historycashpodcast.podbean.com. Sound effects and background music were licensed through Envato Elements, theme songs from Audio Jungle. Stay safe, stay smart, stay curious. And until we meet again, my dear friends, go make some history.